Turning your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 42 this morning. Genesis chapter 42, as we continue our study on the life of Joseph, God meant it for good. We're going to begin reading there at verse number 1 of Genesis chapter 42. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 42, beginning at verse 1, Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence, that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? They said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed of them and said unto them, "Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land you're come. And they said unto him, Nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We're all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land you're come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren. The sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And Joseph said unto them, that, is, that it is that I spake unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Hereby you shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh shall you not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother. And ye shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. And he put them all together in the ward three days. And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye carry, carry corn for the famine of your houses. But bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And he turned himself around from them and wept and returned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way. And thus did he unto them. And they laid it their asses with the corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the, the end, he espied his money. For behold, it was in the sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them. And they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? 
And they came into Jacob, their father, into the land of Canaan and told him all that befell unto them, saying, The man who is the Lord of the land spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men. We are no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father. One is not, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that you are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, and take food for the famine of your households, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that you are no spies, but that you are true men. So will I deliver you to your brother, and ye shall traffic in the land. Verse 35, and it came to pass and that they emptied their sacks that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, me, have you bereaved of my children? Joseph is not and Simeon is not. And you shall take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Reuben spake unto his father, saying, slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in which ye go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this time. Use this message for your glory, I pray in the Savior's name. Amen. Some American soldiers during the Korean War, uh, they had rented a house and they hired a little uh, boy to do their housekeeping and their cooking. And this little Korean fellow they hired had an unbelievable positive attitude. He was always smiling. Perhaps you know somebody like that. And so these GIs played one trick on him after another. They nailed his shoes to the floor. He got up in the morning. He'd pull those nails out with pliers. He'd slip on the shoes and maintain his excellent spirit. They put grease on the stove handles. This little boy would wipe off each stove handle, smiling and singing his way through the day. Finally, they became so ashamed of themselves, they called him in one day. And they said to this little Korean boy, we want you to know that we're never going to play tricks on you again. Your attitude has been outstanding. (laughs) The little boy said, You mean no more nailed shoes to the floor? No more. You mean no more grease on the stove knobs? No more. Okay, then. No more spit in the soup. (laughs) And he shrugged and walked away smiling. If we're honest, how many of us love to spit in the soup? We love to get back at those who have wronged us. We love to get back at those who are wronging us at that moment. We love to get a little revenge. And in the passage we've read today concerning uh, uh, Joseph and his life, Joseph had the perfect opportunity to do just that. He's the second most powerful man in the world. And those who had sold him into slavery come and stand before him and bow before him as half brothers. Now, think about the position he's in. Now, perhaps you're thinking as we read this that Joseph does get revenge on his brethren here. Well, I hope that in our study today to show you that is not the case at all. You're going to find as we study that instead of harming them, he desires to help them. He desires their best. I want you to think about 
Joseph's ten half-brothers for a moment. Think about these fellows and what they're like. Ken Hughes said, apart from Benjamin, Joseph's brothers were a miserable lot. Sons two and three, Simeon and Levi, were guilty of premeditated genocide and the slaughter of the unsuspecting Shechemites in Genesis chapter 34. Number one son, Reuben, had committed incest with his father's concubine in an attempt to secure ascendancy over his father, Jacob. Chapter 35, verse 22. Next, all ten of them had taken young Joseph and stripped him, threw him into a pit, and of course we know they sell him in slavery. Number four, son Judah, then impregnated his daughter-in-law Tamar, who was disguised, who had disguised herself as a Canaanite prostitute. You'll find that in chapter 38. He says, by any estimation, these patriarchs to be were less than promising as bearers of the promise of Abraham and rootstock for the covenant nation that would emerge from Egypt at the Exodus. He said these ten men needed to be confronted with their guilt. They needed an awakening of conscience. They needed to mourn. They needed to genuinely repent. And they needed reapproachment with Joseph. They were going to be preserved during the worldwide famine. Truly their future rested on such changes. The brothers needed grace Though they did not know it. Please hear me today. Joseph in this passage is not lashing out in hatred toward his brothers. In fact, Joseph in this passage is a tool in God's hand being used to work in the lives of his brothers for their good. And I think that will become more and more plain as we study today. There are three main sections here in this 42nd chapter of Genesis. We find Joseph's brethren before Jacob. Then we find Joseph's brethren before Joseph. Then we find Joseph's brethren before Jacob again. And there is a brief fourth section that we'll look at, which is simply when they're on the road coming from Egypt, going back to to home. But let's look, first of all, at Joseph's brethren before Jacob in verses one through four. Now, keep in mind, quite a bit of time has transpired here. Quite a bit of time has elapsed since any uh, uh, of Joseph's family has seen him. He was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. He was 30 when he was made prime minister. And seven years of plenty have already taken place because we're in the famine now. So we have 13 plus seven plus ever how long before these brethren come. At least 20 years has gone by. And Joseph here is anywhere between, say, 37 to 40 years old, most likely. And our attention, we've been studying about Joseph and and Egypt and all that's been going on in his life. Our attention is turned from Egypt to the land of Canaan, where we find Joseph's family and Joseph's beloved father, Jacob. Let's think about Jacob for a moment. Notice, first of all, his frustration in verse one. Now, when Jacob saw there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, why do you look one upon another? (laughs) Somehow word reaches Jacob's ears that there is corn in Egypt. Now, that's not all that's in Egypt, mind you, but Jacob didn't know that. His main concern at this moment is food, the survival of his family. The famine was terrible and they needed some provisions. And as I read this very first verse, I sense as I read it some frustration in in Jacob's words. He says here, why do you look one upon another? Why do you just sit around looking at one another? Why don't why are you just sitting there? Why don't you do something? We don't find Joseph's brother having any initiative. Uh, moving whatsoever. Joseph's fr- Jacob's frustration. Notice Jacob's instruction, verse two. And he said, behold, 
I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. Jacob's instructions are pointed. They're simple. They're to the point. Go down, get some food for us so we can live. Survival of our family, your family. But notice Jacob's suspicion in verses three and four. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt, but Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. Now I notice something here. We notice that ten brothers go to Egypt, but the eleventh stay home. Notice the words, but Benjamin. Now who was Benjamin? Do you remember? He was Joseph's real or full-blooded brother. He was the last living child of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, or, or so they thought. I would dare say that he took Joseph's place. Remember, Joseph was daddy's favorite. And Jacob obviously had not learned that lesson. And I believe now that Benjamin is Jacob's favorite son. But notice why he didn't send him. He said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. And I called this Jacob's suspicion because one has to wonder if he really trusted his ten other sons here. He really trusted them to take Benjamin along. They had been off before. And he sends Joseph after them to bring back his shredded coat. No way was he going to send Benjamin with these other ten sons of his. We move now from the brethren, Joseph's brethren before Jacob, and we see them next before Joseph, beginning in verse 5. Now, here's where the plot really thickens. Notice Joseph's perception in verses 5 through 8. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange to them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. Joseph now is governor of the land. And on this day, he's at the right place at the right time. He's overseeing the selling of this food. His brethren come to this very spot. It's amazing to see God's hand at work here, bringing Joseph's brethren and Joseph together this exact moment. He's there overseeing the celibus grain. Now think of all the people there. Think of the masses of people present. Humanity coming forth to secure food. And among them the ten sons of Jacob. Now notice verse 6. It says, The brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Do you remember the first dream that Joseph had? In Genesis 37, here's what it says. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheep arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheep. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. He was known as the dreamer. They hated him because of his dreams. They hated him because of his code. They hated him because he was his daddy's favorite. And they said, you're not going to reign over us. Let's, let's squash his dreams. Let's kill his dreams. And they sell him many years ago. And then I read in verse 6. The brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Imagine, verse 7, 
Joseph saw them and knew them. He's there that day. And can you imagine his heart and what he must have felt like when he looks out upon this crowd, this mass of humanity? And there standing before him are his ten brethren. But it says that he knew them and he saw them. But they didn't recognize him. Why? Many years had passed. He's not dressed as a slave. One has to wonder as they were traveling to Egypt, were they looking out in the fields and looking around saying, what if Joseph's out there working? But now here comes Joseph standing before them as the second most powerful man in all the world. Dressed in fine Egyptian garb, and he makes himself strange to them. And I'll be honest, I don't know how he did that. How he must have fought the desire to say, hey, guys, it's me, it's Joseph. But he doesn't. He refrains himself. And he speaks harshly to them. He speaks roughly to them. And notice not only his perception, notice his accusation beginning at verse 9. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed of them. He remembered the dreams. Said of them, ye are spies. You are come to see the nakedness of the land. In other words, he says that again. He remembered the dreams and he accused them of being spies. Spies who come to see the weakness of the land. Spies who come to see what they can do. And they seek to defend themselves. They say, no, no, we're, we're true men. We're honest men. We're just here to buy food. They go on to describe uh, themselves and their family. Look at verse 13. Thy servants are 12 brethren. That's interesting. You notice they still count Joseph. 12 brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest, Benjamin, is this day with our father. And one is not. In other words, one, they're telling this man, one is dead. Little did they know that one was standing before them. What do you think I did to Joseph's heart when he heard his brothers say that? One is not. They seek to defend themselves. He accuses them of being spies again. He puts them three days uh, in prison for three days. You might wonder, why is he doing that? Well, you know what? Three days in prison will give you some time to think. Three days in prison will give you some time to come face to face with your past and what you've done. We live in a world where we don't like quiet. Let's be honest about it. When a moment of silence comes across a crowd, it's almost like an uncomfortable feeling. Somebody make some noise, please. Pinch the baby and let him cry. We don't like to sit in quiet, do we? We like to have the radio playing in the background. We like to have some noise on the television. Something. Why? Because when it's quiet, we have time to think. We have time perhaps to come face to face with our lives and what we've done in our past and what's going on in our present. It gives time for our conscience to work in our lives. It gives time and space for the Holy Spirit to work and speak to our hearts. Three days in prison and they're there. And then on the third day, if you notice thirdly here, Joseph's provision, verse 18. And Joseph said unto them the third day, this do and live, for I fear God. After all these years, after even the prosperity and power, God is still the focus of Joseph's life. I want you to notice the ten brothers never mention God. They never mention him at all. But they come and this powerful Egyptian ruler mentions God, Jehovah. We see again that Joseph had passed the test. He passed the test of the pit, of predator, prison, prosperity. And now we can say he passed the test of payback. 
The desire to pay back. The desire of revenge. The desire to spit in the soup. He passed the test. God. 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 Now, his original plan was, I'm going to keep you all in prison and send one of you back to get your younger brother. He changes the plan just a little bit. Now he says only one will stay, but nine will return and go back to get Benjamin. And he gives them corn and he sends them on their way. But let's stop for a moment and notice something. I want you to back up and notice verse 21. And they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the anguish of his soul. When he besought us and would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them saying. Spake I not unto you saying. Do not sin against the child. And you would not hear. Therefore behold also his blood is required. I want you to notice something. We see their conscience is awakened. That quiet time in prison. Had done its work. I want you to notice something about these ten brothers. For over twenty years. They've been carrying around. The burden and the guilt. And the weight knowing what they've done to Joseph. I don't know if they've ever spoken about it again or smitched it to one another again. But they realize now they were guilty. And that weight is heavy upon them. Their conscience is awakened. And I want you to notice verse 23. It says, and they knew not that Joseph understood them. For he spake unto them by an interpreter. Joseph is standing there. He's been talking to them through an interpreter. They don't know he can understand what they're saying. And they're saying, we, we, we should have listened. And remember what we did. And Reuben cries out. And we understand again, if there's any doubt, Joseph is human. Look at what it says. Verse 24. And he returned himself about from them and wept. He could not stand it any longer. He turned and he wept, not to blow his cover, because God wasn't done with him yet, but he turned and he weeps. He then cleanses himself, his eyes, and gets himself together and comes back and binds Simeon in their presence and sends them on their way. Now, here's where that fourth little section comes in, beginning at verse 26. They're on the road back. We know Joseph had commanded to give them provision out of graciousness. Give them food for their families. He didn't want to do harm to his brothers. And, and he also gives them his money back. Not, not knowing it, they get their money back. People say, well, why did Joseph give them their money back? Well, many believe just out of kindness. Just out of kindness. But notice their guilty consciences in verse 26. They laded their asses with the corn. They departed and they came to their, their, the end there. And one of them opened up that sack to give his, his donkey some food. And his money was in his sack. And I want you to notice they go from guilt up earlier to fear. Their heart failed them and they were afraid, saying one to another, what is this that God have done to us? They realize that God is at work here. You know, they've been off before. They returned home with money and one less brother. And now they're off again, and they're returning home with money and one less brother. But instead of seeing this money as a blessing, they see it as a curse. Why? Because now what would the Egyptian official do? They'll say, not only do you spies, you're thieves. That guilt, that weight, that burden, that fear comes. We move now from the brothers before Joseph to them being before Jacob again in verse 29. Remember, there are only nine brothers coming back. Simeon is bound in Egypt. Notice the report. 
in verses 29 to 35, they tell Jacob all about what happened. Notice Jacob's reply in verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not. That is, Joseph is gone. He's, we'd understand it to be dead. And Simeon is not. Well, wait a minute. Simeon's far from those still living. And ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. What was it Joseph said? You will not see my face. Don't, don't bother coming back unless you bring Benjamin with me. And Jacob says, no way. That's Jacob's refusal. Verse 37, Reuben spake to his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee, deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. Now, I think uh, Reuben spoke without thinking. <laughs> I mean, Jacob's already terribly upset. Everything is bad. Everything's awful. He's not going to let Benjamin go. And Reuben, here the firstborn, says, hey, hey, Dad, here's what we'll do. If I don't bring him back, slay my sons. Reuben, what joy, what consolation is going to give Jacob to slay his own grandsons? What does he say? Verse 38. My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in which you go, then shall you bring down my gray hairs of sorrow to the grave. I will not allow Benjamin to go. Let me say something. I wonder what the nine other brothers must have felt at that moment. It's almost like they didn't exist, isn't it? It was all about Joseph and Benjamin. All seemed hopeless to Jacob. It was all bad. It was all dark. It was all terrible. All these things are against me. But in reality, beloved, everything was for him. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. God was not doing bad to Jacob. God was doing wonderful things here. Joseph was alive. Simeon was alive. The famine was in the land. Joseph, you're going to go and live with Joseph and bring the children of Israel to Egypt. One has to say and wants to say to Jacob, where is God, Jacob? Where is Jehovah, Jacob? All things are against me. No, friend. God. God is working on all things. You know, I'm hesitant to condemn Jacob. You know why? Because I've stood in his sandals many times. All things are against me. No, friend. God's working all things for good. I want you to understand something today, beloved. God was not done with Jacob. God was not done with Jacob's sons. And listen, God is not done with you either. God is not done with me. That's encouraging. Don't look so sour. Y'all look so pitiful today. Smile. Preacher, what can we take away from this 42nd chapter? What can we take home with us? I think four main things. I think number one, the reminder of the danger of seeking revenge. We must forgive, not fight. Don't spit in the soup. Leave those things to God. I think the second thing that we can take today is the blessing of knowing God. What did Joseph say to his brothers on that third day? He said what? He said, I fear God. God has made the difference in Joseph's life. That should have been a ray of hope for Joseph's brethren, but they're so burdened down with their guilt they can't even see it. 
Let me ask you, do you fear God? Do you know God? Have you repented of your sin and trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not, today's the day to trust Christ and be saved. I think the third thing we take away is the burden of unconfessed sin. We find that Joseph's brethren have been lugging around this baggage, this guilt, this weight, this fear, this burden for over 20 years. And I realize there may be some sitting in a pew this morning and you've been carrying around some junk with you for years. Why don't you confess it? Get right with God about it and go on in freedom and joy. Fourth thing I think we could take away today and finally is the reassurance of God's plan. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know what dark days you might be in. But maybe you feel like Jacob. You say, all these things are against me. Christian, listen, God's for you. God's working out his plan in your life. God is chipping and molding and shaping, honing you to be more like his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't doubt in the dark what you know in the light, but hold on to him and trust him and rest in him. Now, we're not done with Joseph. We're not done with Jacob. We're going to see some more working in the brothers' lives coming up next time we're able to study this. But I wonder today, on those four issues, where do you stand? Maybe you're seeking revenge. Give that up. Maybe you don't know God. Come know Him today through Christ. Maybe there's unconfessed sin in your life. Come today and lay it down. Maybe you need a reassurance today, the hope that God is working all things in your life for His honor and His glory. And you're good. Let's pray. Father, it is with grateful hearts that we bow in your presence. We thank you for your working in Joseph's lives, in his brethren's lives, in Jacob's life. And Father, I pray that you'll help us today. Whatever the need may be in this sanctuary, in this church, I pray, Father, the Holy Spirit to work in a wonderful way. If someone doesn't know Christ, I pray today they'll come know him. If there's unconfessed sin among a believer today, I pray today they'll come and lay that down. If there's one seeking revenge, come and declare no more. And then finally, Lord, if there's a need to realize that even in the dark days, you're working. I pray, Lord, that you'll just work in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen.